0: Out there, you're awake. Out there, why don't you guys get up on your feet? Find somebody and tell them good morning. Bring your time, bring your shame, bring your guilt, bring your pain. Don't you know that's not your name? You will always be much more to me every day i wrestle with the voices that keep telling me i'm not right but that's all
1: right
0: because i hear a voice and it calls me redeemed when others say i'll never be enough and greater Every time I fall, there'll be those who will call me a mistake, but that's okay. Lose the battle grace says that it doesn't matter Cause the cross has already won the war Oh, I am learning to run freely Understanding just how he sees me And it makes me love him more and more Oh, and there'll be days I lose the battle Grace says that it doesn't matter Cause the cross has already won the war Oh, and I am learning to run freely understanding just how he sees me and it makes me love him more and more boys I hear a voice and he calls me redeemed when others
1: say I'll never be enough and great
0: Oh, and I am learning to run understanding just how he sees me, and it makes me love him more and
2: more. Oh, that'll wake you up in Texas. (laughs) Yeehaw! That's Texan for thank you, Jesus. (laughs) You actually are good at that. We need to break into a square dance in the middle there. Actually, I don't know any of the country dance, a line dance or something. You're going to teach me? Do you guys know how to dance out here? There's about half of you that actually grew up Baptist. You can't dance for the life of you. If you grew up Assemblies of God, you dance in ways we don't understand. If you grew up Church of Christ, this is unusual. (laughs) Anyway, let's stop that, Mark. This is not the time to do that. Welcome, 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 and Merry Christmas. It's that time of the year. Start saying it to everybody. It's fun. They look at you like, oh, yeah, it's Christmas. But I hope you're enjoying the season. Julie and I went to uh, Nacogdoches last night. She, she teaches piano late into the evening, so we didn't go, get to go to uh, Lovekin's Christmas Parade. So we went up to Nacogdoches last night, and we had such a blast. We sat out there in the middle of a crowd, and what a beautiful night it was. And some of the rest of you went to Christmas events. It's such a fun season, isn't it? It, it is. Okay. The both of you that said, yeah, thank you. The rest of you, find joy. <laughs> but we're glad you're here this morning. Lots of things going, coming up. If you take your worship guide and open it, there's some things we definitely want to highlight for you. Uh, those of you who are on Facebook, with Car- a friend that has friended Carpenter's Way on Facebook, you're already a few days into, or a couple days into our Advent calendar on there. If you have not, we encourage you to like our Facebook page and in your, in your feed every day, for the next uh, 23 days, you will get scripture that will put your mind towards Christmas and help you prepare for the season. Um, it's been a great few weeks in our family. We had a phenomenal agape feast. We had Deck the Halls Wednesday night with lots of cookies. Uh, and uh, we're also excited because we have uh, three new folks coming into membership, Ethel Bailey, Dee Bailey, and Bell. and uh, we welcome them. For those of you who have been visiting with Carpenter's Way and are interested in, in becoming a member in January, we will have another new members class. And it takes place during the Sunday morning service from 9.30 to about uh, 11.45. We meet in the library, and, and you'll hear stuff going on, uh, that announcement upcoming. But uh, it's uh, it's a good t- opportunity for you to get to know us and why we do what we do. And um, uh, so take note of that. Please please also note the Christmas events coming up. Uh, the next couple big things, there's, there's lots of events in the middle towards the bottom. You've got a ladies' Christmas gathering that Julie's going to mention. But I also want to mention that we have our uh, 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 family Christmas is going to be on December 23rd. That's in a couple weeks. That'll be during the morning service. For those of you who don't know what that is, that is a one-hour service. We go from 9.30 to 10.30. Lots of music, the Christmas story. We have the children singing this year. A story is going to be read. It's going to be a great morning. And then that night in our parking lot, we're going to do a walk-in theater. So uh, we're going to show the movie The Star. If it rains, we'll move it inside. But here's this year's twist on that. We want you to bring your family's favorite junk food that you eat at movies and stuff. So plan on being a part of that. You can bring your family, your friends, your neighbors. It's going to be a good time. And I know some of you are going, it's so close to Christmas. That's intentional. So that's the 23rd. And then again, as usual, on the 24th, Christmas Eve, we're going to have our candlelight service from 6 to 6.30. It is 30 minutes long, and that's intentional because a lot of you do your Christmas events on Christmas Eve. So have your family and Have dinner. Arrange it so you can come up here at 6 to 6.30. We sing Christmas carols together, and Scripture is read, and then we'll have you back with your families by 6.30, and that is a really great event. So that's all the stuff we have coming up. Lots of opportunities to celebrate the birth of our Savior. Uh, In case you're not clear on this, Christmas is our holiday. It's it's a holiday that, uh, and it may not be the right time of the year, but we have captured this holiday to remember the birth of our Savior, the promised Messiah, Jesus the Christ, who came so that we might have hope and gather together. So uh, make sure that you remember that reason and and enjoy that. Uh, Julie, my wife, is going to come up. She has an announcement for the ladies.
3: Good morning, everyone. Uh, This has been in the worship guide for several weeks, so I'm sure, ladies, you've probably seen this. I just wanted to come up one last time and personally invite you to join us on Tuesday night at Melinda Worley's house. She's graciously um, opened her home to all of us. And um, it's really just a kind of a come and go type of event where you just get to come and enjoy each other's company, really visit and just kind of, I don't know, we don't get to do that enough where we just have a relaxed atmosphere and we just can kind of chat. So that's what we wanted to do, just provide you that opportunity. So you don't have to bring anything, you just need to show up. It's uh, From 6.30 to 8, you can show up anytime in between there. and It's a come and go thing. Um, If you are really interested but you really don't want to drive that time, um, we mentioned this before, please let us know, let me, even Mark, um, know if you need a ride. Um, Other than that, it's also wise if you want to, a couple of you get together and carpool, you all can meet here and park in the church parking lot and drive over together to save space on the street for all the cars. So I hope you um, will join us. It will be just a really relaxed, um, I think enjoyable time together. So join us Tuesday night.
2: If you have never ridden in a pastor's car, <laughs> it's worth it. It's worth it. So, ladies, if you don't, if you want to go but you're not sure you want to drive, you let me know. I'll be there. I can get anywhere around in this town in about three and a half minutes. So, um, but seriously, we we would love. We want to make sure you're there. I, again, and I and I say this a lot. It's because it's too easy to forget. I just want you to remember that it's not about gathering in a room and hearing somebody preach a message to you. It's about relationships. Relationship with God. Relationships with each other. So that's why we do these events. We want to break all this down, and, and in a church this size, it's, size, it's hard. Listen, I, I know the temptation. It's not just about the pastors. It's not just about the staff. It's, it's about each other and taking care of each other, and so that's how we do that. So please be involved. Take, I know it takes courage, but uh, we'd, we'd love to minister to you that way and get, let you get to know each other a little bit so that. Uh, Mark Strong is going to come up. He has an, an announcement on behalf of the elders, and then we'll take our offering. Good morning. Uh, just a reminder that today is the last day that we're collecting uh, gifts for the staff love offering. There's an envelope in the uh, worship guide, so if you haven't had a chance to donate to that yet, please do so today, and we'll distribute those gifts out equally to the staff in the next week or so. Thank you. Thanks, Mark. I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward at this time. Um, in a little, uh, uh, a little while, uh, we will be dismissing, when it's time for the message, we dismiss uh, our kids to GPS. Um, We're going to include the fourth and fifth graders this year uh, because they're going to be practicing music for our family Christmas, so fourth and fifth are going to go with them. Um, uh, One more thing to our church membership. If you're visiting with us this morning, please don't give. This is the commitment that we've made as a church family, those who have attended regularly, to take care of Carpenters Ways needs, the staff needs, the facility, and, and we support missions across the globe. Uh, and uh, so um, but uh, just so you know as you come towards the end of the year we uh, have fallen behind a little bit in our budget and if, and if you're able to give a little extra at the end of the year we'd appreciate you considering that uh, prayerfully uh, anything after we meet our budget uh, anything above that we'll put right into the building fund so uh, for a renovation so um, thank you very much for that let's pray and ask the Lord to bless our time together Lord Jesus we love you um, thank you for the Christmas season uh, it gets uh, it gets more secularized in our in our minds. We're so busy buying gifts and going to parties and celebrating. There is such it's it was so fun yesterday in a big old crowd. There was still joy. Um, it was fun watching kids of all ages, um, older folks, to yelling "Merry Christmas" at each other. And your name is in that, Father. Your name, Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, and Lord. It is. Uh, I'm going to share in a few minutes that it's so easy. For me, Father, it's, actually, it's hard for me to get excited in the Advent, although I try every year. I read Scripture, but I know the end of the story, and it's, it's kind of old. And uh, it is my prayer, Father, that this morning you would begin the process of reviving the truth of that in my heart, in our hearts. Uh, I pray, Father, that the, those of us here this morning, those of us watching on the Internet, we could be a catalyst. If 12 men could change the world with the message of the gospel through Jesus Christ, what could a 1,000 of us do in this community? I pray, Lord Jesus, that our hearts would belong to you, that, that, we would be, that w- every time we say Merry Christmas, we'd shoot a prayer up for the person we're wishing a Merry Christmas to, that would wish beyond a happy season. There are those, Father, who struggle through the season. May they find their hope and their joy in the Lord. I pray, Father, for our time in the Word today. Um, I pray that we would hear from your Holy Spirit, that you would, you would help us to grasp something new it revives our hearts. We love you, Lord. We're here together to celebrate. Thank you for our friends we haven't seen in a few weeks because of vacation or sporting events. Thank you for those that are back. I pray that we'd uh, there'd be a, a, a feeling of celebration as we hug each other and study your word together and learn from you. So we we now ask you to bless our offering, Father. Bless those who give. We thank you for the opportunity we have to present the gospel globally through others and ourselves and and do our work here. Lord Jesus, continue to provide our needs according to your riches and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: you guys want to stand and worship with us, you're more than welcome. Whose power cannot be shaken, and whose breath gives us life, and whose death has set the captive free? his name will stand forever lifted high for all to see jesus our god our lord our king brighter than a million stars his love is shining calling every broken heart come out of hiding healing for the hurting Freedom from the dark. He is brighter than a million stars. Yeah. This grace is so amazing. This love is so complete. This mercy sets the prisoner free. Stop. And freedom from the dark He is brighter than a million stars Blessed be. Deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and glory forever. Oh, bless it be your name, oh God. Oh, bless it.
1: Oh God, how I need you Sin runs deep Temptation comes my way. When I cannot stand, I fall on You, Jesus. You're my hope and stay. So teach my song to rise to You. When temptation comes my way.
2: Seated. <clears throat> Excuse me. If you are under the age of fifth grade, you can take off to your Bible study now and your preparation for Christmas. Um, <clears throat> this is, uh, in every sense, in a real sense, this is our living room. And I, I know I say that all the time. I, I need you to forget for a second that we are a church in 2018. And I, I want you to realize <clears throat> that what that is. It's just the family of God who have chosen together to grow, to walk, to encourage one another, to spur each other on to love and good deeds, and to do spiritual life together. Outside of this church, there are lots of great godly folks, and there are lots of great churches, from Harmony to Kelties, from Lutheran churches. There are Assemblies of God churches, Clawson, Timber Creek, and they're all doing things that they believe God called them to do. But what happens in this culture, and I... This morning, you need to be super brave, because uh, otherwise, it's, it's going to be the worst message you've ever heard me preach, so, um, but I, I need you to forget all of this. I mean, it's, it's pretty, it's, it's winter, it's Christmas, but it's just decoration, and I, and I need us to realize that we are just the children of God, leaning on Him through the power of the Holy Spirit, learning, growing, being, being guided and directed. And I just want you to know there's too much competition in the local church. There's too much, I don't like what you're saying, I'm going to leave. I don't like what you're saying, stop saying it. We're all just in this together. And thank God that we have lots of godly places where God's working. But the problem is when we walk in here and we sing our five songs and we have announcements and we talk about upcoming events, it is a program. I mean, you know that because we have to get you out of here and then we've got Bible studies going on. But every once in a while, actually every week, but especially this week, I really want to pray. I'm going to take a moment, I'm going to pray, and I need you to forget that this is a show, that preachers are trained to preach. And I want you to understand, we all can agree on one thing, and I'm asking this question. We all agree that the Word of God is final authority, it's inspired, it's the very truth of God, right? Okay. Right? Okay. Therefore, the Word of God, as written for us, has a lot to say to us. Um, In a few moments, I'm going to get into Ecclesiastes with you. We have been studying Solomon for recent weeks. And uh, Solomon uh, made a mess of his life. But at the end of his life, at the end of his life, within the last 10 years, we believe, he wrote a letter to his kids. And, And this is very much like your grandfather. Look, there's some things I, I love Texas, and I love your culture. I'm still learning it, even after I'm going into my 14th year. I'm still learning it, and every time, every day, every week, every time I go to an event in Texas, every time I visit the hospital, I like it more. I mean, you're a cool people. You're different than any other southern place I've been. You like to talk. You like to share. You genuinely care about people. Uh, when it is amazing to watch when someone dies. And you know this week, Johnny May Connor went to be with Jesus. Man, we put out there that, that there's a funeral dinner. It is filled within a couple hours. It's incredible. And one of the things that Julie and I learned soon early on when we came here was that if we don't let you minister to us that way, you're offended. Because that's how you express care, and that's part of the culture. It's a really, really great thing. Part of the culture of the church is um, that we believe what is taught us, and therefore we have preconceived ideas about something. And I want you to know that I think Ecclesiastes is one of the most hopeful books in the Bible. Its message is consistent with every other book you'll read in this book. But the problem is that it's like sitting at your grandfather. Oh, that's where I was going with the culture thing. You love family. And it is not uncommon. Let me go back to Texas culture. It is not uncommon for a grandfather to raise his grandson, right? It is not uncommon for a grandmother to spend as much time, especially now that moms are working to make ends meet, it is not uncommon for a grandmother to actually raise that grandchild. And one of the things I've learned from you is that when you have a grandparent or even an aunt or uncle die, it's as personal as a parent often. If your grandfather was on his deathbed and he had days to live and he called you in to tell you his thoughts on life, you would go. That's what this morning is. More on that in a moment. Can can we pray? Let's pray. Actually, we're going to. I get to decide. (laughs) Would you just take a moment and ask God to uh, help you hear what He has to say to you today? Father, take away the trappings of this program and make it personal. Speak to us today. Solomon's words in Ecclesiastes are inspired and they are not, they're not meant as a bat. They're meant as reflection. They're not instructive, they're reflective. That's different. That's different than what we often think. So I pray, Lord, as we talked about last week, that you would change the way we behave by changing the way we think and we pray that you would use Solomon this morning to do that. We commit our time to you, we commit our attention to you, Our hearts to you, speak to us, Father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The first Kings tells us that Solomon wrote 3,000 Proverbs and 1,000 songs. We have three books that contain um, a small part of the art and songs and Proverbs are art. We have three books in the scriptures that give us his art. One is the book of Proverbs that you're familiar with. Uh, We believe it was compiled after his death, many believe, But it was written to his sons because in the middle of his life, things weren't going so well for Solomon. And he didn't want his sons to make the wrong mistake. I'm about to take a shot at Proverbs, so write your emails to Jeff Bonnet. There is a problem with Proverbs. And that is that you could make the case that while he writes to his sons the Proverbs, he's still depending on human wisdom to bring peace. More on that in a moment. Ecclesiastes, okay, so there's another book, The Song of Solomon, or actually it's entitled Song of Songs. It is a love, intimacy, sex book. I'm sorry, it's not about Christ's love for the church. It's in the Old Testament. It is that. And the Hebrews knew it was that. It was written by Solomon, who knew a little something about love, like a thousand somethings. He writes that book. That's what it is. Now, if you don't have a commentary to help you, it's kind of weird. There's a lot of animals in it. (laughs) But it is a book on love. It's a poetry, and it's believed that it was written to one or two of the wives that were very special to him. But then there's a third book, and it's his final thoughts, and that's Ecclesiastes. It's his final thoughts on life, and I I want you to remember who this guy was because this guy in the picture, that's, that's what we see him. He's kind of cold and stained glass. This is an old stained glass, and I don't know if he looked like that at all. But the fact is, this man that we call Solomon, he's just a name. We can't put a picture in our mind. That's as close as we can get. But this man named Solomon was, in fact, the wisest man that would ever walk the earth outside of Jesus Christ. He was. He had God-given wisdom. And I was wrong when I told you in recent weeks that David was the most successful king of Israel. After studying Solomon for the last month, I think Solomon, hands down, is the most successful king that Israel will ever have. Actually, I was wrong in saying that Camelot was only 10 years of David's experience. It tells us that during all of Solomon's reign, the nation was predominantly at peace. The wealth was unbelievable in the nation. And, uh, and, and nations from all over the world, including the Queen of Sheba, would come and sit at Solomon's feet to learn. It tells us that he understood the stars. It tells us that he sought wisdom. And it tells us that every facet of life he sought for, he succeeded. He succeeded. Every one of you in this room under the age of 85 has a goal for yourself, beyond good health, (laughs) to make money. There's nothing wrong with that. To have a good business. If you own a business, nothing wrong with that. To raise good kids, good stuff. To be smart, to live a good American life. There's nothing wrong with any of that. Solomon sought all of those things only in Israel, and here's the difference between you, me, and Solomon, and any other person that ever lived. He accomplished every one of them. Solomon was the ultimate Renaissance man. Everything he went after, he got. I'm not exaggerating. Study his history because it's within that context that you have Ecclesiastes. And, two to, and often we don't get Ecclesiastes partially because we read it in parts. Can you imagine your. Your dying grandfather saying, I want you to sit at my side for half hours. I share some things with you. And about 15 minutes into it, you decide to walk out and have dinner. That's what we do with Ecclesiastes. And so the rap on Ecclesiastes is depressing. If you only read a quarter of the story or half of the story, you don't hear his point. Because Ecclesiastes is written from the wisest man who ever lived as a case. This is the ultimate peri- uh, actually, you guys wouldn't know that. I'm trying to think of a, a modern uh, lawyer. <laughs> it's the ultimate case, and it is so well written. And I w- I was intending a month ago to actually just take it apart and, and kind of highlight it for you. I- I'm going to read it to you. I know. Some of you just went to sleep. Um, it won't take long. It'll take about 20 minutes. But as I was starting to tear it apart and write thoughts and take verses, I realized I'm not the smartest man to ever live. This is the smartest man to ever live, and he's speaking to us. And by me tearing it apart and trying to highlight it, is actually thinking that I've got, I can do the Reader's Digest version. It's a really, really well-written book. And I argue that probably most of you have never read it in one setting and stayed awake. But it's good. Here's the problem today that we have in the church. Another problem. We like pastors to lie to us. We want the the songs and the preaching to say that when you have cancer, it's going to go away. We want to know that there's a magical prayer. We want to know that our kids will, in fact, return to the Lord. We want to be told that if we just do a, a certain few things, that all of our wishes in life will come true. That's a lie, even if you believe it. There's never been a man outside of Ezekiel, who didn't die or, uh, Yeah, Ezekiel, uh, Elijah that didn't die people die you get sick that's a truth if you live your life thinking that you will not die you will not prepare for death Solomon is going to tell you this morning that he accomplished it all and then he's going to conclude and tell you what really really matters the word Ecclesiastes means teacher it's written to teach So take a deep breath, and and look, the wet willy rule is applied. If the person in front of you nods off, lick your fingers and stick it in their ears, and when they turn around angry, point at your spouse. It's okay. Here we go. These are the words of the teacher, King David's son, who ruled in Jerusalem. Everything is meaningless, and that's usually where we close in prayer. That's not the conclusion. Everything is meaningless, says the teacher, completely meaningless. What do people get for their hard work under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth never changes. The sun rises and the sun sets, then hurries around to rise again. The wind blows south and turns north. Around and around it goes, blowing in circles. Rivers run into the sea, but the sea is never full. Then the water returns again to the rivers and flows out again to the sea. Everything is wearisome beyond description. No matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we're not content. History merely repeats itself. It's all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. Sometimes people say, here's something new, but actually it's old. Nothing is ever truly new. We don't remember what happened in the past, and in the future generations, no one will remember what we're doing now. I, the teacher, the king of Israel, and I lived in Jerusalem. I devoted myself to search for understanding and to explore by wisdom Everything being done under heaven. I soon discovered that God has dealt a tragic existence to the human race. I observed everything going on under the sun. And really, it's all meaningless like the chasing wind. What is wrong cannot be made right. What is missing cannot be recovered. I said to myself, look, I am wiser than any of the kings who ruled in Jerusalem before me. I have greater wisdom and knowledge than any of them. So I set out to learn everything from wisdom to madness and folly. But I learned firsthand that pursuing all of this is like chasing the wind. The greater my wisdom, the greater my grief. To increase knowledge only increases sorrow. Okay, we're going to take one pause, then I'm going to get through the rest of it. That's chapter one. We're one one twelfth of the way done. So, but I I want you to get this. I want you to understand, if we're to be honest, everybody in this room has thought that. If you're over the age of 35. You, you, there's something about the 20s where you can kind of think things differently. But the truth is, if you're over the age of 35 and you've gone to work for 15 years and you come home and you sit down in your living room and you had a rough day, you went, what is the point of all this? That's all he's saying. This is a guy who spent his whole life studying that question. What's the point? So again, I beg of you, take a deep breath and listen to his answer. I said to myself, come on, let's try, pre- let's try pleasure Let's look for the good things in life. That's something we've all done. But I found this too was meaningless. So I said, laughter is silly. What good does it do to seek pleasure? After much thought, I decided to cheer myself up with wine. And while still seeking wisdom, I clutched at foolishness. In this way, I tried to experience the only happiness most people find during their brief life in this world. I also tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself and by planting beautiful vineyards. I made gardens and parks, filling them with all kinds of fruit trees. I built reservoirs to collect the water to irrigate my many flourishing groves. I bought slaves, both men and women, and others were born into my household. I also owned owned large herds and flocks, more than any of the kings who had lived in Jerusalem before me. I collected great sums of silver and gold, the treasure of many kings and provinces. I hired wonderful singers, both men and women, and had many beautiful concubines. I had everything any man could desire." So I became greater than all who lived in Jerusalem before me. And my wisdom never failed me. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. Are you getting the gist? I tried it all. And please understand, I don't think he's depressed. I think he's teaching his son something. I think he wants us to get this. I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all my labors. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless like chasing the wind there was nothing really worthwhile anywhere so i decided at that point to compare wisdom and foolishness and madness do you hear how it progresses he's explaining to his kids and to us how his life progressed he chased everything he wanted he chased wisdom so after all of that and finding it was meaningless he decided to compare wisdom with foolishness and madness for who can do better than that than i the king i thought Wisdom is better than foolishness, just as light is better than darkness. For the wise can see where they're going, but fools walk in the dark. Yet I saw that the wise and the foolish share the same fate. Both die. So I said to myself, since I will end up the same as a fool, what's the value of all my wisdom? Even that is so meaningless. For the wise and the foolish both die. The wise will not be remembered any longer than the fool. In the days to come, both are forgotten. So I came to hate life. Because everything done under, here under the sun is so troubling. Everything is meaningless, the chasing, the wind. I came to hate all my work, hard work here on earth, for I must leave uh, to others everything I've earned. And who can tell whether my successors will be wise or foolish? I will next week. I'll share that with you. Yet they will control everything I gained by my skill, hard work under the sun. How meaningless. So I gave up. I gave up in despair, questioning the value of all my hard work in this world. Some people work wisely with knowledge and skill and must leave their fruit to their efforts to someone who hasn't worked for it. This too is meaningless. It's a great tragedy. So what do people get in this life for all their hard work and anxiety? Their days of labor are filled with pain and grief. Even at night, their minds cannot rest. It's all meaningless. So I decided there is nothing better than to enjoy food and drink and find satisfaction in work. Then I realized that these pleasures are from the hand of God. For who can eat or enjoy anything apart from him? God give, gives wisdom and knowledge and joy to those who please him. But if a sinner becomes wealthy, God takes the wealth away and gives it to those who please him. This too is meaningless, like chasing the wind. For everything, there's a season, a time for every activity under heaven. And you thought this was a song from the birds. A time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to harvest. There's a time to kill and a time to heal a time to tear down and a time to build up, a time to cry and a time to laugh, a time to grieve and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to run away, a time to search, a time to quit searching, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be quiet, a time to speak, a time to love, a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What do people get for all their hard work? I've seen the burden God has placed on us all. Yet God has made everything beautiful in its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. So I concluded that there was nothing better than to be happy and enjoy ourselves as long as we can. And people should eat, drink, and enjoy the fruits of their labor. For there are gifts, these are gifts from God. And I know that whatever God does is final, nothing can be added to or taken from it. God's purpose is that people should fear Him. What is happening now has happened before, and what will happen in the future has happened before, because God makes the same things happen over and over again. I also noticed that under the sun, there's evil in the courtroom. Yes, even the courts of law are corrupt. I said to myself, in due season, God will judge everyone, both good and bad, for all their deeds. I also thought about the human condition. Are you getting this? He's sharing, this is your grandfather He's close to death, and he's sharing with you his observations on life. This is not instructive. This is not telling you off, like is often said. This is not telling you you are wasting your life. That's not what this is about. This is a man sharing his observations, and that changes the mojo of it. It changes the mojo. You can learn from his wisdom. I also thought about the human condition, how God proves to people that they are like animals. For people and animals share the same fate. Both breathe and both must die. So people have no real advantage over the animals. How meaningless. Both go to the same place. They come from dust, and to dust they will return. And with that, I want to make another point. These are not the thoughts of God. These are the thoughts of a man. I know that's shocking. It is the inspired, without air, word of God, and it's in it's original languages. But I want to make it clear that some of the thoughts of David in the Psalms are not the heart of God. They are the heart of a man. This is revealed to us so that we can reflect on it. And I want to remind you again that every one of us in this room have had these thoughts. Only we think they're depressive thoughts, because we have put so much of our energy into the value of this life. This book is depressing if that's your hope. It's not if you really believe that God has written eternity on our hearts like he said. Back to Solomon. I also thought about the human condition, how God proves to people that they're like animals. I think I jumped back. Verse 21. For who can prove that the human spirit goes up and the spirit of animals goes down to the earth? Verse 22. So I saw that there is nothing better for people than to be happy in their work. This is our lot in life and no one can bring us back to see what happens after we die. Again, I observed all the oppression that takes place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed with, with no one to confront them. The, oppressor ha- the oppressors have great value and their victims are helpless. So I concluded that the dead are better off than the living but most fortunate of all are those who y- are yet to, not yet to be born for they haven't even seen the evil that's under the sun. Then I observed that most people are motivated to success because they envy their neighbors. That's not a new thought, right? But this too is meaningless, like chasing the wind. Verse 5, fools find their idle hands, leading them to ruin. And yet, verse 6 of chapter 4 says, better to have one handful, handful with quietness than two handfuls with hard work and chasing the wind. Verse 7, I observed yet another example of something meaningless under the sun. This is a case of a man who's all alone without child or brother, yet who works hard to gain as much wealth as he can. But then he asks himself, who am I working for? Why am I giving so much pleasure, uh, up so much pleasure now? It's also meaningless and depressing. Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. Verse 13, it's better to be poor but wise wise youth than old and a foolish king who refuses all advice. A little self-reflection on that. Such a youth could rise from poverty to succeed. He might even become a king, though he has been in prison but then everyone rushes to the side of yet another youth who replaces him. Endless crowds stand around him. But then another generation grows up and rejects him, too. So it's all meaningless, like chasing the wind. I wonder if he was talking about his father. Chapter 5, verse 1: As you enter the house of God, keep your ears open and your mouth shut. Put that on the front door of a church. It is evil to make mindless offerings to God. Don't make rash promises, and don't be hasty to bring matters before God. After all, God's in heaven and you're here on earth, so let your words be few. Too much activity gives you restless dreams. Too, much, too many words makes you a fool. When you make a promise to God, don't delay in following through, for God takes no pleasure in fools. Keep all the promises you make to Him. It's better to say nothing than to make a promise and not keep it. Don't let your mouth make you sin. And don't defend yourself by telling the temple messenger that the promise you made was a mistake. That would make God angry, and he might wipe out everything you've achieved. Talk is cheap, like daydreams and other useless activities. Fear God instead. Don't be surprised if you see a poor person being oppressed by the powerful, and if justice is being miscarried throughout the land. For every official is under orders from higher up, and matters of justice get lost in red tape and bureaucracy. Even the king milks the land for his own profit. Those who love money will never have enough. You've heard that, or you've experienced it. Those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. The more you have, the more people will come to help you spend it. So what good is wealth? Except perhaps to watch it slip through your fingers. People who work hard sleep well, whether they eat little or much, but the rich seldom get a good night's sleep. There's another serious problem I have under the sun. Hoarding riches harms the saver. Money is put into risky investments that turn sour and everything's lost. In the end, there's nothing left to pass on to one's children. We all come to the end of our lives as naked and empty-handed as the day we were born. We can't take our riches with us. And this, too, is a very serious problem. People leave the world no better off than they came. All their hard work is for nothing, like working for the wind. Throughout their lives, they live under a cloud, frustrated, discouraged, and angry. Even so, I have noticed one thing. At least that's good. It is good for people to eat, drink, and enjoy their life under the sun during the short life God has given them, and to accept their lot in life. That's called contentment. And it's a good thing to receive wealth from God and the good health to to enjoy it, to enjoy your work and to accept your lot lot in life. This is indeed a gift from God. God keeps people so busy enjoying life that they make no time to brood over the past. Chapter 6, we're almost through. There's another serious tragedy that I've seen under the sun. And it weighs heavily on humanity. God gives some people great wealth and honor and everything they ever could ever want. But then he doesn't give them the chance to en- enjoy these things. They die. And someone else, even a stranger, ends up enjoying their wealth. This is meaningless. It's a sickening tragedy. Have you not had all these thoughts before? Solomon's just articulated. A man might have a hundred children and live to be very old, but if he finds no satisfaction in life and doesn't even get a decent burial, it would have been better for him to be born dead. His birth would have been meaningless, and he would have, had, he would have ended in darkness. He wouldn't even have had, uh, have had a name, and he would never uh, have seen the sun or known of its existence, yet he would have had more peace than in growing up to be an unhappy man. He might live a thousand years twice over, but still not find contentment. And since he must die like everyone else, well, what's the use? All people spend their lives scratching for food, but they never seem to have enough. So, are the wise really better off than fools? Do poor people gain anything by being wise and knowing how to act in front of others? Enjoy what you have rather than desiring what you don't have. Just dreaming about nice things is meaningless, like chasing the wind. Everything has already been decided. It was known long ago what each person would be, so there's no use arguing with God about your destiny. The more words you speak, the less they mean. So what good are they? In a few days of our meaningless lives, who knows how our days can be spent? Our lives are like a shadow. How can we, uh, who can tell what will happen on on this earth after we're gone? Wisdom for life thoughts, chapter seven. He's leaving, he's now leaving observations and now making wisdom for life. A good reputation is more valuable than costly perfume. And the day you die is better than the day you're born. Better to spend your time at funerals than at parties. After all, everyone dies. So the living should take this to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for sadness has a refining influence on us. A wise person thinks a lot about death, while a fool thinks only about having a good time. Better to be criticized by a wise wise person than to be praised by a fool. A fool's laughter is quickly gone, like thorns crackling on a fire. This is also meaningless. Extortion turns wise people into fools and bribes the corrupt heart. Finishing is better than starting. Patience is better than pride. Control your temper, for anger anger labels you a fool. Don't long for the good old days. That's not wise. Wisdom is better than when you have money. Both are a benefit as you go through life. I thought that was kind of interesting. You could put that one on your work desk if you own a business. (laughs) Wisdom and money can get you almost anything, but only wisdom can save your life. Accept the way God does things. For who can straighten what he, uh, what he has made crooked? Enjoy prosperity even uh, uh, while you can. But when hard times strike, realize that both come from God. Remember that nothing is certain in this life. Verse 15, I've seen everything is meaningless in life, including the death of good young people and the long life of wicked people. So don't be too good or too wise. Why destroy yourself? On the other hand, don't be too wicked either. Don't be a fool. Why die before your time? Pay attention to these instructions. For anyone who fears God will avoid both extremes. One wise person is stronger than ten leading citizens of a town. Not a single person on earth is always good and never sins. Don't eavesdrop on others. You're going to hear your servants curse you. When I came to Carpenter's Way, take a breath, I remember telling the staff that they're going to slander me or gossip, make sure they're good at it. I don't want to know. I encourage you to do the same thing. If there's things you don't like about me, don't let me hear you talk about it. I want you to get this. I, I know it's overwhelming and there's a lot of stuff being thrown out here, but get the mojo of it. That's most important. He's going to conclude this for us, and that's what gets awesome. Put that verse up there, Kevin. I forgot where it was. Verse 22. For you know how often you yourself have cursed others. That's why you don't want to eavesdrop on others because you're going to hear a bad from you. I have always tried my best to let wisdom guide my thoughts and actions. I said to myself, I'm determined to be wise, but it didn't work. Wisdom is always distant and difficult to find. I searched everywhere, determined to find wisdom and to understand the reason for things. I was determined to prove to myself that wickedness is stupid and foolishness is madness. I discovered that the seductive woman is a trap more bitter than death. Her passion is a snare and her soft hands are chains. Those who are, uh, those who are pleasing to God will escape her, but sinners will be caught in her snare. This is my conclusion, says the teacher. I discovered this after looking at the matter from every possible angle, angle. Though I have searched repeatedly, I have not found what I was looking for. Only one out of a thousand men is virtuous. Me too. But not one-one. Verse 29. Again. Again. Not the thoughts of God, but the thoughts of the wisest, richest, most successful man that ever lives at the end of his life. I love that verse because it reminds me that he doesn't have to be right on everything, but he's making some powerful arguments here. But I did find this. God created people to be virtuous, but they have turned to follow their own downward path. Chapter 8. Four more chapters. We're almost done. How wonderful to be wise. To analyze and interpret things, wisdom lights up a person's faith, softening its harshness. Obey the king since you vowed to God that you would. Don't try to avoid doing your duty, and don't stand with those who plot evil, for the king can do whatever he wants. His command is backed by great power. No one can resist or question it. Those who obey him will not be punished. Those who are wise will find time and a way to do what's right, for there is time and a way for everything, even when the person's in trouble. Indeed, how can people avoid... What they, what they don't know is going to happen. None of us can hold back our spirit from departing. None of us has the power to prevent the day of our death. There's no escaping that obligation, that dark battle. And in the face of death, wickedness, certainly, uh, uh, wick, wickedness will certainly not rescue the wicked. I have thought deeply about all that goes on under here, here under the sun when people have the power to hurt each other. I've seen the wicked people buried with honor, yet they were the very ones who frequented the temple and are now praised in the same city where they committed their crimes. This too is meaningless. When a crime is not punished quickly, people feel it's safe to do wrong. But even though a person sins a hundred times and still lives a long time, I know that those who fear God will be better off. The wicked will not prosper, for they do not fear God. Their days will never grow long like the evening shadows. And this is not that all is meaningless in our world. In this life, good people are often treated as though they were wicked, and wicked people are often treated as though they were good. This is so meaningless. So I recommend having fun. Because there's nothing better for people in this world than to eat, drink, and enjoy life. That way they will experience some happiness along with all the hard work God gives them under the sun. That more Christians need in their house. Enjoy Christmas, you guys. Because God's work is hard. Verse 16. In my search for wisdom... And in my observation of people's burdens here on earth, I discover that there is ceaseless activity day and night. I realize that no one can discover everything uh, God is doing under the sun. Not even the wisest people discover everything, no matter what they claim. Chapter 9. This, too, I carefully explored. Even though the actions of the godly and wise are in God's hands, no one knows whether God will show them favor. The same destiny ultimately awaits everyone, whether righteous or wicked, good or bad, ceremonial, clean or unclean, religious or irreligious. Good people receive the same treatment as sinners, and people who make promises to God are treated like people who don't. It seems so wrong that everyone under the sun uh, suffers the same fate. Already twisted by evil, people choose their own mad course. They have no hope. There is nothing ahead but death anyway. There, uh, There is hope only for the living, as they say. It is better to be a living dog than a dead lion. The living at least know they'll die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, uh, nor are they remembered. Whatever they did in their lifetime, loving, hating, envying, it's all gone. They no longer play a part in anything here on earth. So go ahead and eat your food with joy and drink your wine with a happy heart. For God approves of this. Wear fine clothes and a splash of cologne. Live happily with the woman you love through all the meaningless (laughs) days of your life. (laughs) Sorry. Again, he's talking about life on earth. (laughs) I'm sorry, I don't know why that made me laugh. When we get to heaven, we can slap Solomon. Live happily with the woman you love through all the meaningless days of your life that God has given you under the sun. The the wife God gives you is your reward for all of your earthly toil. Isn't that true, man? Whatever you do, do well. For when you go to the grave, there will be no work or planning or knowledge or wisdom. I have observed something else under the sun. The fastest runner doesn't always win the race, and the strongest warrior doesn't always win the battle. The wise sometimes go hungry, and the skillful are not necessarily wealthy. And those who are educated don't always lead successful life. It is all decided by chance by being in the right place at the right time. People can never predict when hard times might come, like fish in a net or birds in a trap. People are caught by sudden tragedy. Here's another bit of wisdom that has impressed me as I've watched the way our world works. There was a small town with only a few people, and a great king came with his army, and he besieged it. A poor wise man knew how to save the town, and so it was rescued. But afterward, no one thought to thank him. So even though wisdom is better than strength, those who are wise will be despised... If they're poor, they will say uh, they uh, what they say will not be appreciated for long. Better to hear the quiet words of a wise wise person, though, than the shouts of a foolish king. Better to have wisdom than weapons of war. But one sinner can destroy much that is good. Chapter 10: As dead flies cause even a bottle of perfume to stink, (laughs) so a little foolishness spoils great wisdom and honor. A wise person chooses the right road; a fool takes the wrong one. You can identify fools just by the way they walk down the street. If your bo- boss is angry at you, don't quit. A quiet spirit can overcome even great mistakes. There's another evil that I've seen under the suns. Kings and rulers make a grave mistake when they, when they give great authority to foolish people and low positions of people uh, to people of proven worth. I have even seen servants riding horseback like princes and princes walking like servants. When you dig a well, you might fall in. When you demolish an old wall... You could be bitten by a snake. When you work in a quarry, stones might fall and crush you. When you chop wood, there is danger with each, act, with each stroke of your axe. Using a dull axe requires great strength, so sharpen your blade. That's the value of wisdom. It helps you succeed. If the snake bites you before you charm it, what's the use of being a snake charmer? Wise words bring approval, but fools are destroyed by their own words. Fools base their thoughts on foolish assumptions. So their conclusions will be wicked madness. They chatter on and on. But nobody really knows what's going to happen. No one can predict the future. Fools are so exhausted by little work that they can't even find their way home. What sorrow for the, uh, for the land ruled by a servant, the land whose leaders fest feast in the morning. Happy is the land whose king is a noble ca- leader and whose leaders feast at the proper time to gain strength for their work, not to get drunk. Laziness leads to, uh, uh, leads to a sagging roof. Idleness leads to a leaky house. A party gives laughter, wine gives happiness, and money gives everything. Never make light of the king, even in your thoughts, and don't make fun of the powerful, even in your own bedroom. For a little bird might deliver your message and tell them what you said. (laughs) Happy am I. It's going to get good. Stick with me. I promise you. Send your grain across the seas, verse chapters 11 says, and in time prophets will, will flow back to you. But divide your investments among many places for you do not know what the risks lie ahead. When the clouds are heavy, the rains come down. Whether a tree falls in the north or south, it stays where it falls. Farmers who wait for perfect weather never plant. If they watch every cloud, they never harvest. Just as you cannot understand the path of the wind or the mystery of a tiny baby growing in his mother's womb, so you can't understand the activity of God who does all things. Plant your seed in the morning and keep busy all afternoon for you don't know if if profit will come from one activity or another or, or maybe both. Light is sweet. How pleasant to see a new day dawning. When people live to be very old, let them rejoice in every day of life. Let them also remember that there will be many dark days. Everything everything still to come is meaningless. Young people, it's wonderful to be young. Enjoy every minute of it. Do everything you want to do. Take it all in. But remember, you will give an account to God for everything you do. So refuse to worry and keep your body healthy. But remember that youth, with a whole life before you, is meaningless. Last chapter, you made it. You're almost done. Don't let the excitement of youth cause you to forget your Creator. Honor Him in your youth. Before you grow old and say, life is not pleasant anymore. Remember Him before the light of the sun, the moon and the stars dim in your old eyes, and the rain clouds continually darken your sky. Remember, your uh, yes, your sky. Remember Him before your legs, the guards of your house start to tremble. Before your shoulders, the strong men stoop. Remember Him before your teeth, your few remaining servants stop grinding, and before your eyes the woman looking through the window see dimly. Remember him before the door to life's opportunity is closed and the sound of work fades. Now you rise in the first, at the first chirping of birds, but then all their sounds will grow faint. Remember him before you become fearful of falling and worry about the danger in the streets. Before your hair turns white like an almond tree in bloom, and you drag along without energy like a dying grasshopper, and the cranberry no longer inspires sexual desire, remember him before you near the grave, your everlasting home, when all the mourners will weep at your funeral. Yes, remember your Creator now while you're young, before the silver cord of life snaps and the golden bowl is broken. Don't wait until the water jar is smashed at the spring and and the pulley is broken at the well. For then the dust will return to the earth and the spirit will return to God who gave it. Everything is meaningless, says the teacher. Completely meaningless. Keep this in mind. The teacher was considered wise and he taught people everything he knew. All right, this is the end. Here we go. He's saying, now listen, remember who I am who's writing this. Everybody sought my wisdom. He listened, I listened, Solomon speaking of himself. He listened carefully to many Proverbs, studying and classifying them. The teacher sought to find out just the right words to express truths clearly. The words of the wise are like cattle prods, painful but helpful. I'm in verse 11 of chapter 12. Their collected sayings are like nail-studded stick with which a shepherd drives the sheep. But my child, let me give you some further advice. Be careful, for writing books is endless and much study wears you out. That's the whole story. This is the last verse. That's the whole story. Here is now my final conclusion. Take a breath. All of that for this. If that tired you out, it was supposed to. That's the problem with the way that we approach Scripture today. Everything's become devotional. We do one chapter at a time. This was never supposed to be a 12-book study. This was supposed to be annoying. This was supposed to be frustrating. You were supposed to feel the frustration of, of, no, of meaningless life, with the wisdom that God had given him. Because that's what his experience was. And so after all of that, here is his final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. Wow. That's his conclusion. God is, and he deserves to be revered. Even if you don't love him, he does exist, and you will give an account. Some of us, some of you, and I I know it, and most people think it's depressing. And and he actually says that in chapter 12, verse 11. The words of the wise are like cattle prods, painful but helpful. I'd like to say that in our culture, and if you're in the millennial kingdom or or the next generation that they have yet to name, I just want to let you know something. I know that you think we're stupid, but I'm here to tell you, you've got to listen to your grandparents. They can help you in life. There is wisdom to be had, and one of the wisdoms is to understand that all the stuff you're going to work for in this life will end when you die. But reverence for the Lord, walking with God, putting your hope in Him, Solomon knew firsthand that all that other stuff, and I want to remind you, Solomon achieved everything you could ever hope to achieve, and it was still empty to him. This is my final conclusion. Fear God, obey His commands, for this is everyone's duty. And, and, and here's the bad rap on Solomon's wisdom. People think, it's so depressing. I don't like that, so we don't spend time in it. Well, let me tell you that Paul actually says exactly the same thing in Philippians 3.8. You can read it for yourself. Paul says exactly the same thing. Leave it up there. Everything is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Throughout Ecclesiastes, leave it up there, Kevin. Throughout Ecclesiastes, you guys, we heard him say, this is meaningless, but it's good to have money. This is meaningless, but health is good. This is meaningless, but enjoy your life. That's because there's a quandary. We live here, but he's saying, don't just live for now, live for eternity. All right, I'm going to bring this to a conclusion. Julie and I were talking, we went on a date yesterday, and, and and had dinner and as we were talking it struck me that you and I are in the exact same position as the Jews we've been studying back then they had been promised by God that a savior would come and, and redeem them that he would be their king and he would be the forgiver of their sin that he would be their lamb these people had no idea how their deliverer would come I mean, they had some prophetic promises, but like you and I with the return of Christ, everybody's throwing out a different idea. So when it came to what the facts were, what it would look like, they didn't know what to look for. We look back and we go, oh, there's 15 things or 1,200 things that they should have been looking for. And they were looking for those things, but it was in a veil, just like we are. When Jesus Christ came, it was the Jews that didn't believe that he was the Messiah. It was random people that followed him because of the miracles he had done it validated his message but what strikes me is that we today are in the exact same position as the hebrews were back then only we have been forgiven why does this matter because we're now in advent season uh the children have been given an advent calendar from alicia to go home and open one a day with a verse in it we're throwing it on facebook and i'm going to be honest with you for a second this is why i told you this isn't a program I struggle in Advent season. I don't struggle with the season. I love the season. I love the music. I love Bing Crosby. I love the movies. I love all this. I love our house. Julie decorates our house, and it's like living in a Christmas museum to me. It's great. But I do struggle in getting excited about, how, uh, about a story I've, I've, I've known for 52 years of my life. I mean, I'm glad Jesus came and died on the cross. I like Easter, actually, more than Christmas because of the, the redemption. But it's really hard for me. I, I read Advent calendars and I do them, and I'm I'm kind of like, <clears throat> okay, I want to feel what the Jews felt at the birth of the Messiah. What was it that, that that Simeon felt when he was waiting for Jesus to be brought? You know what I'm talking about, you guys? I, I'm expecting you have a little bit of knowledge. I want to feel that. That's why we do Advent. We want to we feel the anticipation. And it struck me yesterday as Julie and I were having dinner this verse. Look at these verses in John 14. These are the words of Jesus right before he leaves them. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my Father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything's ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. Maybe I've been doing it wrong. Maybe the problem I have with Christmas is I'm still trying to find answers for this life. I'm still trying to get enough money to pay all the bills. I want, I want health care for my kids. I want success in our church. I want you to feel good about life and God and church. I, I, want, I want everything you want. You want everything you want. But the problem with Ecclesiastes and the reason that most of us think it's depressing is because we've put our hope in our life experience. We haven't put our hope in eternity. That's what he's saying at the end. Put your hope in God. After death, which everybody's going to die, even the animals, that's when you stand before the one permanent one, God. We have put our hope so much in this life that Christmas is another day in the calendar, in the Christian calendar, and as we go through Advent, we're trying to feel what the Jews felt, having, but we know how it ended, and we're kind of bored with that story. What if this Advent season, Mark Wilkie is reminded of the, of the promised return of the Lord soon? I have no idea when. I have no idea how. But I do know that if I put my hope in Him, like the Jews should have put their hope in the coming Messiah, even though they didn't know how it would be, that I will find a hopeful life. God has promised us in this text in John 14 that He is coming back for us. And that is called in the New Testament our blessed hope. When it comes to the things of the earth that freak us out, that freak the Jews out, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. Are you worried about what you're going to eat, where you're going to sleep, what you'll wear? Look at the flowers around you. Look at the birds around you. I've taken care of all that. And if I'm going to take care of them, your father who loves you so much more than them is going to take care of you. The problem is that as Texans and Americans, we have really put our hope in this life. And I want to tell you that I think even pastors have encouraged that. We have told you to obsess over your families, over the upbringing of your children, over your marriages, instead of obsessing over God. If you walk with God, it will affect your marriage. If you put your hope in his return, it will affect your advent. If you put your hope in the promises of God that he made under the old covenant and are fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ, we will then believe that he is coming back to redeem us from the crap we find ourselves in right now. Crap is a Greek word. Sorry. But that's true. We actually have reimagined a Christianity that says Ecclesiastes isn't true. A Christianity that promises you wealth and health and great fame if only you're more faithful to God. And Solomon's experience, the wisest, most successful man who ever lived is, that's meaningless in the end. The only thing that matters is walking with God, putting your hope in God. And so I want to encourage you this morning as we start down the Advent season, Put your hope in his return. when you look at the baby in the manger, when you look at the pictures, when you listen to the songs, let them propel your heart to the future. He has redeemed you. You don't need another redeemer. The, the feelings of oh, that must have been so wonderful for Anna that day that she blessed Jesus in the tab or the temple. That thing is not, you're not going to have her feelings. And I've tried for 50-some years. I've tried. And I realize now I can't have that because my hope is not on what has happened, but on what is going to happen. He is right now preparing a place for me. And that place is never going to need to be rebuilt. And there's no sickness there. There's no, there's no money to worry about. My dad is the king of kings. And my hope is in his return. He came once in a manger. He's coming again on a white horse for me and for you. May this Christmas season remind us that our hope is not found in our experience in this life, but the one who oversees the experience and will carry us into eternity. Your hope is found in God. Why so downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God. Emmanuel, God is with us. He has been with us. He lives within us. And He will come back to get us. Emmanuel, God is with us. God is our hope. Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, forgive us. Forgive us for the thinking that eating and drinking and hard work and good food and parties will bring us more than temporary peace. That's fine. Solomon says there's nothing wrong with that, but it does end up when we get heartburn, when we have a hangover, when we eat too much, when our money runs out, when, when the end of our life when we're laying on our deathbed, none of those things sustain us, only God sustains. And so, may Father, as Solomon should have sought you, as David did seek you, as the Jews, the Hebrew people, should have sought you above everything else, May we seek you above everything else, above this country, above our wealth, above success of our business. May we remember, even if we have all of those things, that the only thing that is meaningful is revering you. May we, this Christmas season, remember the promise that you, O God, would return for us when the time is right. May we trust you for your timing. May we put our hope in you. And may we look forward to your return. I'm going to be quiet for about 15 seconds. Can you ask God to help you see him, his advent, his return this Christmas season, and help you find your joy and hope in him? I don't know what you're fearing right now, but would you take that in your hands and lift it to him? Give it to him. Tell him to take that thing you're afraid of health sickness, finances, kids, all of them, that you give them to him. Father, we look back on the promise that you would send your Messiah and the fulfillment of that in the person of Jesus, the Messiah. Because you kept that promise, we know that you will keep your promise to come get us. And so I end this morning with the word, the Greek word, Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus because we will put our hope in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Bible study is going to start in 10 minutes. If you'd like to pray, I'd love to pray with you.